Welcome to the Missouri Wind and Solar Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Shank, coming to you from our store in Seymour, Missouri. Each week with my co-host and Missouri Wind and Solar's general manager, David McDerris, we discuss the latest on self-reliant energy. Check out our additional educational information, including dates for our hands-on workshops conducted in Seymour, on our website, windandsolar.com. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and if you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing. We're going to talk on this episode for something we really don't talk about that much, and that's because it's such a, it's even a, I think, a specialty among, within alternative energy, and that's, that's hydro. And we do sell our, our motor to be used in hydro applications. We sell, we probably sell a good deal of those, don't we? Yeah, we do. We wanted to talk about that today for those of you out there who might, you know, have a casual interest in it or something like that, and just kind of talk for a minute about what that entails. And I think by anything you and I have seen, there's a lot more to it than just, yeah, I've got, yeah. I've I mean, got a stream. Yeah, I mean, you can't just have a trickle running <laughs> out of the side of the, you know, and or you know, in Missouri here, especially we have a lot of what they call weather springs. What weather springs are named exactly like they sound during the real wet parts of the month, which is usually going to be the spring and the spring thaw. You'll see these, it's just a hydrostatic pressure right, just pushing you, the water you back see the up. Water isn't it? being pushed up out of the ground, and it can pop up anywhere. They may be there two years, and then the third year be gone. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about. And, a spring that's tried and true that's been there for hundreds of years is pumping water out of the ground. And they- and even more specifically, I think probably the first thing we've got to talk about is never assume that you can go capture water. Right. Because there are so many regulations about right. that, and, right. and you want to get in trouble with your local DNR, yeah. you know, you- resources group, whatever. <laughs> It cannot be a basically a well. Marked, no, that's Missouri, right? right. It can't, in Missouri, it cannot be a, a marked stream. And when I say that, you know, like uh, for instance, where I'm, I grew up, there was a, a creek called Indian Creek, and Indian Creek was it flowed all the way to the Gasconade River. Well, even though it went through your land, and you own the land underneath the water, you do not own the water you can own so, both sides of it. But you didn't, yeah, own. And, and you can there again. Uh, Missouri law states that the gravel underneath the water is yours, but you cannot divert the water. Like yeah. say, I want to, oh, I want to take this over to a pond and go through a dam. And then, yeah, the DNR will be there in just a little bit and you'll have a huge fine and then you'll be putting it back where it would belong. We can, I mean, you know, so, so that's probably the first consideration and probably the knockout blow for the, the vast majority. Yeah. And I would say here, why it's easier to do wind. I mean, pretty right, much if you right. got access to wind and you can put up a tower, I mean, you're right. good. But the big thing on this is is flowing water. And then the next step is you've got to be able to restrict that down as you go along. Right. You're going to do it one of two ways. If you have a stream coming out of the side of a hill, there's going to be, and there's many flow charts that's going to tell you how much energy is per gallon of water per foot of fall right and so really i mean you got to remember there's always going to be a little bit of uh not going to be a little bit there's going to be a loss factor in there so and i don't know all the the deal so if i i'm just when i say a number i'm just making up a number here so if you had 
uh, 10 gallons of water at 10 foot of fall. And that said that that was equal to the energy of a thousand joules, which is a thousand watts of energy. By the time you transform that, you may only be able to get 500 out of that. You might. You now, the great thing is that it's typically, if you're doing it, it's running all the time. It's running all the time. Yes. I mean, you're kind of wasting your time if you're putting it on a stream that's just running intermittently. I mean, you probably never get the pay. Even not only do you not get a payoff on it, even if you were using it for an off-grid situation where you're just when you needed that stream to be producing, it wouldn't be producing. You'd right. be in a drought. Something would happen, right? Or I mean, if it's you know, or if it's too or small, small and it freezes over. over in the right, water or whatever. Yeah. So there'd be something. That, so, but you have you know. So at that, after you figure out, hey, I do have enough energy available. It's there. Now I have to figure out how to capture that energy. Am I going to capture that energy with a big water wheel? Am I going to use a Pelton wheel where I have to to neck down that energy to get a high pressure flow out of the end of the right. pipe, or am I just going to use the, the streams flow on a so water wheel? Two different things we're really talking about here. I think it's easy just to kind of explain is like a water wheel would be like what you see on a Mississippi river boat. So you've got yeah, a, yeah, a paddle you've wheel. got a paddle wheel out there and it's sitting in the water. And as the water flows by, it's turning it. Right. And I think our buddy on Homestead Rescue, I think he actually did one of those. And yeah. and the big thing there is, and I know one of the reasons he did that like that, is that his situation, it was one of those situations where wherever he was working, the DNR there said, you know, you can't have anything permanent right. on the sides of the river or anything, but you could float a boat out there. And right. so he put the paddle wheel on a boat, right. <laughs> floated yeah. it out there, and yep. and – Stuck a motor on there, and yeah. as it turned, and I mean, then he set anchor. I mean, he did. What yeah, he, he lived did an anchor forever. Anchor. Right. Then the other thing that Dave is talking about is a Pelton wheel, and we actually have them here at the store. And this is this is the kind of uh, device that's used in literally like Hoover Dam. Right. I mean, any kind of yep. dam you can think of, any kind of massive hydroelectric production uses this. There, the component in there is, I think they're typically referred to as spoons. You know, the spoons on the Hoover Dam, you know, you could probably sit a bus on them. But we've got a Pelton wheel here that, you know, is about, it's got spoons on it about the size of a golf ball. Yeah. Then, then, and then we've got the other one the that's other a little, little bit bigger. about the size of our hand. And, I mean, you know, and the so. concept there is, and what David was talking about is, I want to say it's to keep, you pick up the water at one end with... I don't know what's the pipe would you would think up there is an eight inch pipe or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean you pick it up with this largest pipe of there again doing your ratio of trying to capture the amount right. of energy that you're. But then, so maybe see, eight inch ten inch maybe a maybe a twelve inch pipe. So and, and then, then you, you go to keep necking down. Then you right. go to a ten and then you go to an eight and then you go to and you keep and you know what happens is is that squeezing that water down. And then typically what you would do is you'd have that Pelton wheel set in a box and then come off of that last leg and have four nozzles on each corner. I know that sounds corners of a wheel, but basically, you know, the corners of the box and just firing straight into that wheel and you're spinning it like mad. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, and then of course you've got, then, you know, then again, now you've got that water that you've got to deal with. You've got to get that. You need to get that water back into the stream. Right. At that point, I mean, you're directing the actual, when the water comes out with those nozzles, you're directing directing it to hit into 
the spoons, but the, really, the, I mean, to get the water, there's really nothing needed there. The it's kind of the bottom of the box is is open and has a drain basically that will drain directly back to that stream. So you're not actually doing anything with the water. You're just capturing the energy out of that water as it's passing down down the way. And your but your challenge is from what I've seen and looking at this and and doing a lot of research on it is you've got to have some distance for that drop and that necking down to happen. I mean, it's not like you can have, you know, one foot at at 12 inches and then another foot at 10. And then another, I mean, you're talking about some serious. Yeah. You have to usually, I mean, anywhere from 12 to 15 foot. of Yeah. I was going to say drop. And and, and that doesn't mean over the entire length of your property. You know, I mean, and, and so you're talking about a, a process to have enough drop on it to create the pressure. And some of the ones that I've looked at is, you know, you may be talking, I don't know, some look like 75, 50 feet long right? that yeah. they're running. And then if you think about it, what's the natural thing about a stream or whatever? Anyway, it's pretty flat. Right. So yeah, you your, your slope on there is not... Yeah you know, Niagara Falls. You gotta, it's, yeah. You got to think of it like, yeah, like Niagara Falls or like whitewater rafting. I mean, you can come to the Gasconade river in, in Missouri, you know, where I'm from and get on there in a kayak and you can paddle for a long, long ways. And, and you're going to paddle just about the whole entire yeah. way. That's uh, a nice ride. Or, yeah, it's a nice ride, but you're going to be wore out <laughs> because you're going to paddle. Or you can go up into the mountains of Colorado where there's fall and you can jump in that kayak and the paddle is just to steer you just so to you keep don't you run from, into the rock. I mean, because it's taking you down the river. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that fall. So, you know, there again, if, if your spring is coming out on the side of a hill, like if you're in Missouri or, or anywhere, you've got hill, that spring is good flowing out of there. Then you have drop. I mean, now you can take that pipe down the hill. But if you're just in a, like my mother lives in the bottom of a valley and she has a little creek that actually runs right in front of her house and it's, it usually flows 365 days a year, but it's very slow, lazy stream. There's just not enough energy there, you yeah. know. Or you'd have to do that over such a distance. Yes, yes. That I mean, it becomes. She really doesn't have enough. I mean, she yeah, has two miles of PVC yeah. pipe. Trying yeah, to she's get got in. 40 acres, and there's just not enough. Even at that, there's not enough room to to get it, you know. So now, one of the other things you got to consider is, I mean, you may be. You know, in a pristine river, that's great. You still got to deal with leaves and that sort of thing. That right. I mean, you know, of course, anybody could say, "Say, well, with wind, you've got to deal with you debris, know, yeah. whatever." But I mean, a, it's a, a lot uh, easier to deal with. Uh, if you're if you're yeah. making that argument, then you're yeah. not making a you're not making a solid argument because we know the the, the creeks solid. are going to have more stuff, and you've got to yeah. you've really got to constantly maintain that and make sure that. You know, your pipe is clean and that sort of thing. Keep that up. Let's talk for just a second when we come back about the motors that we would use in that environment, David. Okay, so we offer a lot of different motors here at Missouri Wind. What would we typically recommend in that environment? In our hydro application, we're always going to use our 12-volt, and you can do that in the, the single Legacy series, which is a 1,600-watt PMG, or you can do that in our Frontier series, which is going to be dual-rotor, dual-stator, 2,000-watt PMG. But it is going to be made out of the 12-volt units. reason being, 
12 volt unit has a, a larger copper winding versus the 48 volt. We need less, basically less feet of copper winding for 12 volt than we don't need than we do the 48 volt, but they're still housed in the same housing. So the only way to get that longer length to get that voltage is by making the wire size smaller and then wrapping it more times. So we use the 12 volt there again for the, for the hydro because, and a lot of people say, well, my system's not 12 volt. It's 48 volt or 24 volt. Remember the PMG is not, it's not a set deal. There's not, it it doesn't go to 12 or 14.4 volts and just stop, you know, and then everything after that go to amperage. It's a curve. I mean, so it can start out at zero volts and a, and a 12 volt can run up all the way up to 200 volts, you know, so depending on, what you're putting that on and typically you're going to use it like an MPPT style controller on a hydro. You're not going to use to use a diversion controller. You're going to use something like an MPPT or VRD board and it's going to convert that high voltage that that still figure it out. It's going to figure that out for you. So it's going to bring it back down. And so, and that's all going to be based off of the speed that the actual head is turning on the, on the actual PMG. So, so at 266 RPMs is where we reach 12 volts. So to reach 48 volt, if we were in a charge in 48, we're going to have to be around 520 RPMs. So you're going to have to design a, a wheel or a system that will turn at least that capacity. A lot of people, if you're doing a big water wheel, it's just going to be a gear ratio. I mean, you're going to gear that down. You're going to, you're going to step it down. You might come off, the wheel may turn at, say 300 rpm so that's probably that's a great segue here so really going from your wheel to whatever is something that's going to be very unique right to you right Right. i mean it's going to be unique to every situation that's why you can't just go out and say well i want to go buy this if it was we would just sell the the wheels here we would just have them made and sell them because it would be a a very easy there's more to it than right you got a tower Put it up. The wind blows. We're rocking. Right. In this case, yeah. you've got it. You've, you've got, got a, to design. You've got to design the wheel for your stream flow that you're trying to. You know, maybe maybe you don't have the stream flow. Maybe you don't have a a real fast flowing stream, so you don't have a lot of drop. But you have a lot of water, right? So you have. I mean, so you have the potential of having with a lot of water, you can turn a lot bigger wheel. You know, and have the potential of having a lot more torque. Right. If I had 50 gallons of water versus a five gallon bucket of water, well, I can turn something with 50 gallons of water putting force down than I can on a, on a five gallon. So maybe I can get a lot more torque, but I can only get an RPM of say a hundred RPMs. But if I have a lot of torque where I can take that to a big wheel, maybe that I could have a 10 to one ratio, then I can get a thousand RPMs out of that, that small pulley on that will be put on the PMG for our hydro. All right. So I've got a question. I know this comes up a lot. I want to use a sealed motor in the hydro application. No. <laughs> but why? Number one is heat. I mean, it's just going to overheat. That's always been such a curious response until you kind of look at that for a minute and then it makes sense. So so the difference in a the PMG being up on a tower in the nice, cool wind, wind <laughs> and then you think about it being in again in a stream that's typically down in some type of valley or something, right. which means there's no moving air. And while the the stream may be ice cold, 
You're not submerging you're not, this. Yeah, this is not a submergible deal. This thing is built. Really needs to be built and housed. It doesn't need to be housed. It's just like it's just like our wind turbine. I mean, it's the same motor for a wind turbine. So it doesn't need to be housed in a like a. It can get wet. Right, it can get <laughs> wet, but you can't get it wet to the point of like submerging it under the water. So at that, you know, like on our when you look at our hydro, it's actually going to have a fan that we're going to have placed on that turning pushing air back across those stators to try to keep them cool because I know I've said it on here, but I'm saying it again because heat is the destroyer of electricity. I mean, it, I mean, if you're gaining heat, that's your some of your energy is being lost through that heat is what is happening. And at that point, actually, it can cause, you know, a lot of damage. You know, the heat can actually cause it to get high enough to get the copper windings where they're going to phase out across each other, you know, short out across each other. So interestingly enough, as much as you would think that it's that it would be the last thing you'd be concerned about in a hydro application, heat's really probably one of the yeah, it's, one of the it's, bigger it's, things. Yeah, it's it's actually probably the biggest that we're worried about. I mean, is keeping it cool, you know, you know. There again, if you're up on the tower, I mean, you literally got the wind if it's turning if, if it's if it's wind, generating yeah, yeah. it's cooling. Yeah, itself. it's cooling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have a gigantic fan that's actually you know cooling <laughs> in at that point so so anyway yeah that's definitely definitely what well, that's what, the reason you can't use a seal what else have you got about hydro i think it's very cool i wish we could do a lot more with it but it is a it is just very localized i mean it just because you're i mean you know you go out say in in eastern missouri or western missouri and eastern kansas and you start seeing the big wind towers and you know and your neighbor's got a wind tower, more likely you can have a wind tower there right. as well. You know, it's going to work. But you look across there, and your neighbor's got a fast-flowing stream across his place, and he's producing all kinds of – and then you look at your place, and it's just a big grass field. You don't have that potential that he had. He was lucky in that essence that he had that. So hydro is very specialized into very small segments. of. And the- I would even say, from what I have seen, it is – much more of an involved, maintenance-heavy. Right. I mean, you, this is something you've really got to yeah. monitor it daily. I'm not saying that you don't not monitor your wind turbine or your solar panels daily, but I think this is something you have to be much more actively involved in maintenance. And- Definitely. I mean, because we just keep talking about streams. I should be, have let it known, be known earlier. You can't place this just in the stream because if you live anywhere you're going to have flooding it's going to be there is going to be times that you're going to have more water than you currently probably have when you build the system and sometimes less water but more water is the real factor there flooding say that stream that i just talked about runs right in front of my mother's house most of the time you could jump over it with a good jump there's other times that it looks like white rider rafting coming down in front of her house i mean you could put a canoe in at one end and shoot across our property within a matter of minutes, you know. So and so, if we had a water wheel built there, it would be destroyed. That I mean, it would just destroy it. Flooding would destroy it. So, if you have a stream, there again, one reason West immediately start off. You have to be able to divert some of that water from that stream, and so that you can you can divert enough around to get the energy that you need. But the majority of it's going to go down, and, and then you're also going to have to be able to shut that diversion off and that way if that heavy flooding is going to occur you can shut that off to keep your you know so that's why i kept talking about the the springs and stuff usually they're going to be a constant they're not going to be they'll flow maybe a little bit more in the wet times than 
but it's not going to be a flooding event that would happen down like in the low valleys. I would even go back and say, I mean, really, everybody that's listening to this and, and really just anyone in the, I mean, they ought to have some form of solar. I yeah. mean, it's just really, I mean, that's, yeah. it's a, it's a hundred percent. I mean, I think yeah. the answer to the question is, you know, should I get solar? Yeah, you should. You should, you should mean, start. Yeah. Doing it. Then the next one is, well, you know, should I do wind? And wind becomes more restrictive. I mean, we look at, we've got maps set up and we can look at where wind is good. And I've said it, I've said it on the podcast before. I mean, we were living in Georgia before and where we were in Georgia, it's just no. I mean, the answer to that would be no. no. Now, where we live now here in Missouri the answer is yes, very much so. We need to have one. So, you know, wind is is highly specific, and we'd help you do that. And then on your scale, then your next one is hydro, and the answer there is even more restrictive as far as than, than what looks at wind. If you're interested in hydro, great. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to see your project. I'd love to get videos right. and see it. But it is not for the faint of heart. You're going to have to do a lot of research into the area. If it's just a property you've just obtained, you know, and there's, you really need to have a couple of years worth of data to, to know if it's even going to be worth, you know, doing or not. Okay. Well, I think we're good there. We got it. Yep. All right. Well, appreciate you tuning in today and look forward to bringing you some more podcasts soon. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast today. If you have a question you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast or just want to say hello, email us at radio at windandsolar.com. As always, Check out our store at windandsolar.com and buy some stuff. Your financial support underwrites our educational outreach, like the podcast, YouTube channel, and local STEM collaboration. It also keeps Lucy and her doggy chicken treats. Thanks again for listening.